that people have to stop marketing backwards. They tell people what they do, and then they have to spend the rest of the conversation backtracking to explain why someone might need it. When you lead with, I do this, or you need this, now you spend the whole time explaining why someone needs something they didn't know they needed, where if done properly and you ask some basic questions, candidly, it becomes their idea. Let's talk about assist in the years, right? Because that's obviously the critical part of building a successful sales and marketing pipeline, right? That's the oxygen that feeds your business and everything that you want to do. How do you achieve that? How do you systemize that in your business? Welcome to the More Clients, Less Effort podcast, where we provide expert insights and strategies to turbocharge your business growth. I'm your host, Tim Hyde. And in this series, we'll unpack the secrets, proven systems, and the sales and marketing strategies used by successful business owners to attract, convert, and keep A-class clients on autopilot. Whether you're a seasoned entrepreneur looking to scale your customer acquisition or a budding startup owner looking to crack the code on attracting the right clients, you've come to the right place. Join us on this journey to building a thriving business that leaves a lasting impact. Now let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of More Clients, Less Effort. I am joined today by the absolutely amazing Adam Kipnis. Adam, it's great to have you join us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Now, if you don't know Adam, Adam is a go-to, the, the go-to coach and advisor for many business owners and professionals, including accountants, realtors, real estate investors, attorneys, medical practitioners, you know, and 22 of which have crossed the million dollars in annual revenue with Adam and not least of which is the four clients that Adam took from hundred K in revenue to over a million dollars under his guidance. Adam's a regularly featured on Forbes.com and his system has seen on NBC, CBS, ABC, and Fox. He's also the creator of a new podcast called the entrepreneurs MBA. And one of Adam's passions is definitely giving back and serving as an important part of Adam's life. And you, I know Adam, you serve as the chair of the Community Leadership Board for the American Diabetes Association in the desert southwest and have raised over $750,000 for annually for diabetes, mate, which is a fantastic accomplishment. Congratulations on that very worthy cause. Thank you very much. I mean, there's there's a whole team behind it, but as the chair, you get to take a little bit of credit for, <laughs> uh, for, for being at the helm. Mate, well, first up, first up, before we get into the business questions, I want to know, because I know for a lot of people who kind of get invested into, you know, charity or charitable works like the stuff that you do with diabetes, do you have a personal connection in some way to that particular cause? Or it was just something you thought, this is something I want to do to give back? A bit of both, but it, it was one of those things I didn't know I had a connection to until I had a connection to it, right? It was nothing that I really knew about. I didn't know people with diabetes. I knew, obviously, it's a very large issue, especially here in the States, but I didn't really know I had a connection. And then my stepfather passed away, and it wasn't until after he passed away that he told us that he had diabetes and everything he was dealing with. Now, I don't know what we could have done or if he would have listened to us. Fathers can be like that, but we couldn't understand what he was going through on a day-to-day basis because he never told us. And once I learned about the disease, I learned about what people go through. It pained me a little bit that we couldn't have been there to support him. And then 
within a month, maybe someone came up to me who was already part of this board and they were looking for new blood and leadership for it and said, hey, would you have any interest in doing this? And right, it was fresh in my mind, still kind of dealing with and reeling from losing my stepfather who was in my life for 35 years. And the timing just came together. You know, I don't know if it's fate or whatever term you want to put on it, but things happen for reasons. And that happened exactly at the time when I needed it. And then I was on that board for seven years, still active on the board. I turned over the chairman's gavel this past year to somebody else for new leadership. But it it came to me because I had to do something because I couldn't do something for him. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, right? You know, we talk about entrepreneurship a lot, right? This is a thing that consumes us, as, as you well know. You know, we get into business and it's it's this this beast that we create. It's like a baby in many ways. Right? We, don't, we joke about it, right? But it, it takes everything that we have and then still comes back and asks for more with no sort of ceremony or applause or anything like that. It says, can I have some more, please? <laughs> and and <laughs> well, away we go. But it is only, you know, we kind of have sometimes I think lose sight of the fact that a business is there to support our higher purpose, whatever higher purpose that might be, right? It is there so we can have the lifestyle we want and get involved in whatever we need to do, right? And if it's if it's get involved in our, the lives of our family that we kind of miss as we go to work, it's sometimes not until after someone passes that we discover, you know, pretty important things about them. A hundred percent. And what I've learned in working with over, I don't know, a thousand plus people over my career is in the world of entrepreneur stuff, you have to understand that you, there are good days and bad days, right? And if you focus on the bad days, those are the people whose businesses fail because they get so consumed in their stuff. And a lot of times when I'm talking to a client or even a prospect and they start to go down that road of poor me, business fails, no one wants to talk to me, no one wants to buy my thing, I'm going to be broke, all the things that people complain about. I always tell them, I say, call three people. I don't care who they are, any three people, and ask them how they're doing. And I guarantee you one of those people is going through something a whole lot worse than whatever you're complaining to me about. And you'll end up helping them. And it'll get you over whatever short-term pain you're feeling. And I think when, when you have a charity, and not all charities are for people that, with, that are sick or disadvantaged. Some of them are, are just things that we love. But when you do give back in that way, I think it puts our day-to-day troubles in perspective. And at least for me, allows me to say, you know what? I can go back and do more work, or I can think about this in a different way, or no one really cares about me complaining about my nonsense these people have some real world stuff that they have to get through and still live a, a functional life and go to a job and make money and do all the things. So for me, it works really well. And I do use it as a lever in the coaching that I do, because yeah. I think people take themselves too seriously and don't take other people seriously enough. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, that's a really important point to make is, is just saying, you know, there are people going through worse things than you. And the great thing about being in business, of course, is that you get to control it, right? You get to right. change your state. You know, like that, you can literally click your fingers and go, okay, I don't need to do that anymore. I don't need to work with that client. I don't need to do this thing, right? You can, you do have that flexibility to pivot whenever you want to. Talk to me about how you got started. How did you get into coaching? What was the moment, I guess? So I grew up in a very traditional, you know, 
upper middle class family. I was going to college. My brothers and sisters all went to private schools, private university, and I was on that track, right? My dad was a teacher. My mom was an audiologist, so hearing, and my stepfather was a surgeon. My brother and sister were both attorneys, right? I was on a track to go get a job, which was fine. I never knew anything different. But I graduated from college in 1994. And in 1994, the US economy and, and much of the world economy was pretty bad. There were no jobs. Now, I was a history and poli sci major. That may have been mistake number one, but I went to school. I wanted to learn history and poli sci rather than something that someone would pay me for. And so I graduate in a bad economy with a degree that didn't have people throwing job offers at you. So I did what you know kids with a few bucks in their pocket do. I bought a one-way ticket to Europe and we, me and four, five friends, we decided we were going to go get jobs and we were going to go work in the Czech Republic, as it turned out, after a, a month in Greece, which, you know, to decompress from the college life, I needed to sit on the beach for a month and then went to the Czech Republic and ended up getting a job as a teacher. I was teaching English in the Czech public school system. And one day, one of the teachers you know, was asking me where I was living. And I said, well, right now we're, you know, about to lose our apartment. We were paying US dollars in the Czech Republic. So we were paying about a thousand percent more than a Czech person would have. And so our funds were dwindling and I was making Czech money, but paying American prices. One of the kids overheard it and said, hey, my parents have an apartment in our building that we give to people to teach us English, me and my two sisters. So me and my roommate say, all right, that sounds good. Free rent in order in, for teaching English. Perfect. We go do it. And then we got referred to another family in the building. And then another kid at school needed teaching. And then someone that one of my friends was dating ran a travel agency and we taught them. So next thing we knew, my roommate and I, I guess business partner, we just didn't know it at the time, had about 14 clients, did zero marketing and... We're teaching English, making more money than anyone we knew in the Czech Republic. And we're like, this business thing is easy. And so that was really the first thing that I did. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll go into business. This seems better than having a real job. And much to the, much the disappointment you. and horror of your parents at that stage, I imagine. Well, my parents were all conflicted because my mom, stepdad and dad, none of them actually questioned sort of the harebrained idea of buying a one-way ticket to Europe in the first place. They all kind of assumed the other one would be the smarter one and tell me to realize to get on with my life. Anyhow, I get to Europe, was there about 18 months, came back to the States, and the idea of owning my own business seemed like a more natural progression than going to send out resumes and get a job. And so I started a business. It was in financial services, and they gave me literally a phone book and a telephone and said, go get clients. I didn't have to do that ever in my life. And so I had to start from scratch. And this was 96. This was the internet was kind of a thing, but not really. Email was kind of a thing, but not really. It was hand to hand combat, picking up the phone or going out and meeting people face to face. Marketing techniques were very different. And that business uh, did not nearly go as well. And thankfully, in the three years of making almost no money, I built up a lot of skills so I could go get a job. And I went and got a traditional job in the financial services world that to this day pays me very well. But 
I gave up on the entrepreneurial thinking for about 15 years before I came I'm, back. I'm, to I'm curious to know why you think, you know, you had such quick success with the strategies you employed. I mean, even referral business, okay, just do a good job, ask for a referral is a marketing strategy in itself, right? We can't, social media is not the only marketing strategy, <laughs> shock horror, right? But, you know, you had a strategy where, you know, you sort of get a good service and, you know, connected through personal relationships and you come back to the US and we're dialing for dollars. What do you attribute that wasn't successful? What do you attribute the difference in those two strategies and why did one work and the other one not work in hindsight? In, in, in hindsight, I think it was less about the strategies and more about the mindset. When I was in the Czech Republic, I don't want to say it didn't matter if we didn't have any money, but our rent was paid for. I didn't have a car. I took the tram wherever I went. We walked a lot of places. So our needs were pretty low. Beers were a quarter, you know, or whatever, 40 cents, give or take Australian or whatever you have in place of cents. And right. So there was no pressure to do it. When I came back to the States, and was dialing for dollars and going to networking events and hitting up my friends for business, there was a different pressure. I had to get clients in order to pay my bills. And I think I put a pressure on myself that I focused more on what wasn't working than what was working. I focused more on picking up the phone or lack of picking up the phone than I did on a coherent marketing strategy. I didn't have a system. I wasn't taught a system. I didn't know I was supposed to have a system. So I think when I first started, right? Hey, do you need people to teach English? No, fine. More time to drink beer. Yes, cool. More money, right? So there was really no downside to asking for business. When I came back, it was business or no money. And I put undue pressure on myself and I didn't step back. And this is something I work with all of my clients on is I have them take a breath, step back and figure out what they're trying to do, who they're trying to do it for and why those people actually will care. And once you know that, then we figure out the marketing strategy. And I know we're going to talk a little about systems. So I think it's like that. Now that I know it, obviously I would have done things entirely differently. That back I think that's then. a key thing though. I think it's a key thing, you know, just answering those three fundamental questions. So what can you do? Does someone actually want that? And are they prepared to give you money to solve it? Um, I mean, I, um, I've been a big fan, as, as you are, I know, of Shark Tank in the US and, you know, the various business shows where the, the young investors and the young sort of entrepreneurs come in and pitch to seasoned investors. And I do recall one on the BBC production of Dragon's Den, which is the UK version of Shark Tank. And a guy came in and said, I've got this thing that helps you get the last bit of product out of the toothpaste tube or, you know, your shaving cream can or, or whatever else it might be, right? Your tube of, you know, of makeup. And one of the investors in it says, amazing, it's going to revolutionize the world. And this is how big the industry is and blah, 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 blah. Okay. And, you know, really interesting and creative way of reducing waste, right? To get the last bit of product out of all of these, you know, tubes that we have. And there's lots of them, right? You just have to go into your, your bathroom and and find out how many tubes of stuff <laughs> that you've managed to collect. <laughs> right. There is a lot, right? And thankfully, most of us don't have to, you know, cut open the toothpaste tube to get the last bit of toothpaste out. But one of the dragons at this stage says, well, this is a really interesting thing. What does it cost to produce this product and add it, right, to every single toothpaste tube? And the, uh, the young entrepreneur says, it's going to cost us about 10 pence. Okay, so let's call it a quarter. I says, and then the next question they asked, which I thought was a really good one, was how much product do we save? <laughs> <laughs> 
and it's about 2p worth of product. So you said, thank you very much. I'm out. Right. For the same reason, right? There's so many of us create a business that doesn't actually solve a problem that people are prepared to spend money on. Right? Well, you know, I, I, I think most businesses don't create something that people spend money on because most businesses fail. Right. And it's identifying that, but I'll take the other side of it just for fun of the conversation. Anything in the world can sell to 1% of the people, no matter how stupid we might think it is. There's 1% of the people that will buy it. Even if it makes no financial sense, we just have to find that 1%, right? And most people like this, they want to go to the masses. I want to make a billion dollars by selling the roller thing. And by the way, I, I have one of those and they sell for like 15 bucks, but my wife bought it. I don't know. I, I've had it for like 10 years, so I guess it's worth it. Maybe, maybe I've got my time value. You just value. haven't thrown it out yet. I was doing some research for just a podcast like this. I wrote an article I posted on LinkedIn. There are 57 podcasts on knitting, like knitting sweaters and caps. Podcasts, like people talking about knitting. It's not even a visual medium, but there's 57 of them. So if there's 57 podcasts on knitting, there's an audience. And that's so, the only ones you could find. Right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many listeners they have, but 57 people went out there and put out a show on knitting audio. And so it's a matter of finding your audience. I think people get so caught up in the thing and less about the person that they're helping with their item. A business partner of mine do a, an event. And one of the things we say, what are you... For people who don't have a business, what are you an expert in? We're all an expert in something. And there was one girl, 20 years old, single mother, worked at Walmart. That was the only job she ever had. All she's gotten was her biweekly paycheck from Walmart. She's on this event. You know, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to find out how to make more money so I can take care of my family. And we said, what, what are you an expert in? She said, I'm an expert in laundry. There are a bunch of people in this. There are probably 100 people in this Zoom room. And the people started to snicker. You could see him laugh. And I said, all right, tell us why you're good at laundry. And she's like, well, I used to spend my whole Saturday doing laundry. And now I do a little bit of laundry every night while I'm making dinner, while I put the kids to bed. It takes me almost no time. And I get my Saturdays back to spend with my daughter. And I have a system for how and why I do it every day of the week. And so I went to the Zoomer. And I said, who would pay 30 bucks to find a better system of doing laundry so you can get your weekends back? And like 10 hands went up. This girl went out and sold 11 people a $30 training on doing better laundry, right? So is that a product that should be out there? You know, probably not. But you go in a room and you say, who wants to do this? And if people raise their hands, you've got yourself a way to make money. It might not be an ongoing business, but it's a way to make money. So I think it's more about finding the audience than about caring about worrying about what your product is. I think you're right. There's absolutely an audience for just about anything, right? Except maybe gravity rehabilitation services for dwarven astronauts. Okay. It might be a bit of a small market, but there is a market for that sort of thing. I have a photo on my desktop and I'm going to see if I can put it in the show notes if I remember to. Of a chicken in a tutu. <laughs> someone created a tutu right you know nice and fluffy and colorful for a chicken there's a market for that too but you, you're right you do have to sort of match it to the audience and then you've got to sort of price it in a way that people go yes i want that and so right. if there's a better way of doing washing absolutely i watched a tiktok video this morning of a company in in israel that has produced a 3d printer that prints 
food, actual food, right? With real live cells. So it <laughs> creates steaks and, okay. you know, and fish. It's like we just fingered a fish fillet <laughs> and they cook it and eat it and go, it's actually pretty good, right? Anyway, very, very Star Trek. Let's roll forward. Okay. So you, you spend, you find yourself going slowly brain dead, working in financial services over 15 years. You would get into the sort of this century, you know, mid teens ish, early teens, and you go, you feel the, the lure, the pull again to get back into being a business owner. You know, I think it, it was more of a pull to do what I was being paid to do, but do it in a better way and do it in a, a better lifestyle, better paying way. I had honed my skills. I knew that I was good at asking thoughtful questions and giving beneficial advice, right? That just happens to be something that I became good at. I learned how to do it. You can see I've got lots of books behind me for those of you that are, are watching on YouTube. And when I read something or when I learn something, I remember it. When someone brings up a situation in their business, I can pull out something from one of these, you know, self-help and business biography books that says, oh, here's what you can do. And so I got very good at that. And people kept asking me for advice. And like every bad entrepreneur, I would give them advice, right? And then I realized that I could probably charge for that. And so I started charging for it and people started to pay me. And so it allowed me to create a business without having to be like, oh, I'm starting a business. I said, I'm going to charge for the thing I'm actually already doing. And for most service professionals, regardless, doctor, lawyer, accountant, coach, consultant, marketer, we all have a knowledge base and people will pay us more for our knowledge than they will for our thing, which is an odd you know, thing to wrap your arms around, but people will. If you could do chiropractic at home, people would pay more for chiropractic than they would to go in and get a $50 adjustment, right? And so being in business allowed me a framework to make more money. People were already asking me for this. So then I went out and said, all right, who am I helping? Why did it work? What's the commonality between these people? And then I put a marketing plan around it and went out and started to find those people that fit that demographic. And that makes marketing a whole lot easier when you know what you're looking for. And so that's where it came back to was I was doing it. I just didn't look at it as a business. I looked at it as me. And once I put a business framework around it, I was able to start making money and then training more people and helping more people to do it because I put it out there and I said, hey, this is what I do. And those people now found me. Now, you know, 95% of the world doesn't need me because they're not in business, they've got a job. Mm. But the ones that do own their own businesses or wanna start a side hustle or wanna expand on their side hustle, those are my target people and now I see them everywhere because I listen for it in conversations, I know to ask questions to elicit a response that will tell me, are they my pers person or not? I think there's one thing that, you know, we, we've gotta get more comfortable as entrepreneurs, right? And, and I think as human beings, we don't, we dislike rejection. But in business, we've got to get really comfortable with it, right? We've got to get comfortable with making offers and asking questions, right? More often, right? We've got to get really good at interrupting people and saying, hey, I just heard you say that, you know, is that something you need help with? You know? And if they don't, that's okay. But if they do, you know, I think I've got the expertise to help you overcome this challenge that you don't based on my experience. 
you know, I think when we we talk to people on through social media and at networking events and stuff, right? Marketing is just asking questions and sort of A being visible, right? B having conversations with people and then C, you know, then kind of completing a customer loop, right? That's not too complex really. But it's going, you know, you don't have the expertise that I have to solve a problem that you want, you know, that you want to overcome. Right. You know, and you're either going to spend time learning it yourself or you're going to find someone like me who can help you do it, you know, much faster. A hundred percent. You know, and I think what's interesting, and this is when I, when I talk about it, you know, when I'm on stage or whatever, I talk about it, you know, that people have to stop marketing backwards. Most people, especially networking events, network events are one of the more painful things for most people because they, they start backwards. They tell people what they do. And then they have to spend the rest of the conversation backtracking to explain why someone might need it. And when you lead with, I do this, or you need this, now you spend the whole time explaining why someone needs something they didn't know they needed. Where if done properly, and you ask some basic questions, candidly, it becomes their idea. Like people will come and then say, obviously you can help me or yes, I need this. And you can say, great, here's what this looks like. So if you start from the question versus the thing, you're 10 steps ahead of where most people are in terms of their marketing. And that's true, whether it's, you know, social media advertising, yellow pages or the phone book, billboards. You know, the, if you say we do this, well, there are some people who need that and they gravitate to it, but most people don't know they need it yet. And so you lose 99% of your audience minute one because they're like, Oh, I don't need that. And they move on. Yeah. Where if you're not even aware, right? They're not, they're not, they're not at that level of maturity in the conversation to know whether they need it or not. And because you're then not top of mind when they do lead it, they just go and buy from somebody else. <laughs> right. So everybody goes through a journey. You go through a buyer's journey that starts from learning about a thing and then thinking about all the reasons why you want it and then naturally thinking about all the reasons why you don't want it before you decide, oh, it's time to have this. Now, who am I going to hire? Right? You drive into work and you know you've got a long day and you're a little bit tired. You're like, oh, I'd love a cup of coffee. You're like, oh, coffee tastes good. It smells good. It's warm. It's going to give me that energy boost. It's going to get me through my day. And you're like, do I really need a $4.50 cup of coffee? Do I want to wait in line with the people? Do I want to deal, you know, with, with Starbucks and everyone in there and I'll just go to work? Or you say, you know what? Yeah, I, I still want that cup of coffee, but now I'm going to go to Starbucks. Am I going to go to Dunkin' Donuts? Am I going to go to Pete's? Am I going to go to, you know, name your local coffee shop? That's a journey. Like it starts, it's only $4, but it starts at the do I want this? Everything good about it, everything bad about it, and then do it. That's true for every product out there. And most marketers or most business owners skip those first four steps and go right to, you need my thing. Yeah. I'd love to get your perspective on this is whether we market that way because we've grown up seeing everyone else market the same way, right? You're watching TV you know, back before streaming, like most of us, we're watching TV every 15 minutes. We were interrupted by a bunch of ads, which meant you could sort of dock off to the kitchen or take a toilet break. But if you were stuck there, immediately you had some dude yelling at you to sit on the couch and buy a car or buy a new couch or something. And said, you know, it's the, it's the product first that you need a new couch. So, you know, you should buy one. And of course you're sitting on the couch thinking, oh yeah, it's a little bit ratty. 
right? And you had to do it enough to kind of get it through someone's someone's head, but right? But we've changed the way we consume information now. It's very rare to find a buyer who's not coming to you almost, you know, pre-sold on what the solution is. Yeah, they've done their research. They've looked it up. They've seen you. The first thing, even when we get referrals these days, the first thing we go and look at is like, you're referring me to Tim or to Adam. I'm going to go and check out this person online and see who they are. You know, the wealth of information we have at our fingertips now has changed the way that people go on that buyer's journey. You know, I mean, I find for me, for example, as a marketing consultant, I get a lot of business by referral as well as, as I know you do as well, Adam. But people will check out my website, but they don't come through my website. They go there to go, oh, you've got a good looking website. And then they come back to the, you know, the path that they were on previously. You know, so it's interesting. Once we understand how people buy from us, we're more likely to be able to craft the journey and systemize that journey more effectively. It's interesting. Like the big companies, whether it's buying a car or buying, going to McDonald's or buying a, a beer or whatever, you see their commercials hundreds of times, literally hundreds of times. And so it just gets ingrained what you're going to buy. For the rest of us, for the everyday business owner and entrepreneur, you don't get hundreds of times. You might get one passing shot at somebody and people's attention spans aren't built for that. Like I read somewhere that we have 3000 advertising hits per day. Because your phone has a logo, your watch has a logo. I've got another phone, I got a book, I got a computer, I got a monitor. All of these things on my desk all have logos and all have little marketing messages that they're telling me. If I walked away from here, I'd be hard pressed to tell you a third of the things on my desk because we tune them all out. You're in the car and the the radio, you don't know what the thing's even for because you're not even listening, you tune it out. You probably drive from your house to your office and there's 30 billboards or there's 30 signs or placards or things. And you know, most of them, but like if you had to rattle off one of the stores in the strip mall on your corner, you probably couldn't do it. Very few could. I know I couldn't. And we're, we've been trained to tune these things out. And so how do you market in that environment? We have to look, it's not about shouting the loudest. It's about asking the questions. It's about provoking the need or the passion or the desire or the want or the pain in your thing. My thing is different for you than it might be for somebody else because your results are that you're looking for are different or your pains are different. So my questions have to be about your thing. Coaching is a thing. And I believe people should all have coaches. I have coaches no matter what you are. You are better if you have one. That's why every athlete in the world has multiple coaches. Why? Because they make them better at their thing. Why wouldn't you want to be better at your business? But just because the need is there doesn't mean if I say, hey, you need a coach, they're going to be like, oh, my God, I need a coach. I better hire you. Right? (laughs) Right? Because just because I tell you it's important and you might know it's important, I haven't struck a chord with you on why you should say yes, because I haven't built up that want, desire, or pain big enough to have you say, you know what, I'm going to make a change and I'm going to hire you. Okay, let's, let's pivot. Let's talk about the system you use, right? Because that's obviously the, the critical part of building a successful sales and marketing pipeline, right? That's the oxygen that feeds your business and everything that you want to do. How do you achieve that? How do you systemize that in your business? So I, I break it down more into categories. 
in two ways. One is first by category. So first, you mentioned you have to interrupt people. You have to stop them from what they're doing to pay attention. Now, everybody can do that differently. It could be the headline in your ad. It could be the headline in your website. It could be you're the person speaking on a podcast or you're the person on stage or you have a cool title or you're pretty, right? You need a way to stop people to pay and have them pay attention to your thing. Second, you have to engage them in a way that says your problem can be fixed. Not necessarily what fixes it, just here's your problem, shout it out there. It can be fixed. And now people, if they know it can, they don't even care how. The next step is you educate them on why it can work. And then when you make that offer, it's so obvious that they have to say yes. And we can start with you know, to get technical, a tripwire or a free report or something that makes it really easy for them to say yes. But if you stop them from what they're doing, so they're paying attention, you say, there's a solution out there. You should learn more about it. Here's what it is. And here's how I'm going to help you. And just make it really easy. So I use that framework in my advertising. I use that framework in my sales calls or my prospect calls. I use that when I'm talking to referrals and referrers about it. So I'm always have those four steps, interrupt, engage, educate, offer. I build that into my PowerPoints. The second thing that I, I look for is there are five kinds of people in the world. First kind of people are friends and family, right? Up to you whether you wanna do business with friends and family, everyone's got their own take on that. They should know what you do for a living, but do you wanna do business? Your call. Second group of people are people that have been there, done that, have a specialized knowledge, someone you can learn from, someone that can guide you or give you advice. Third group of people are people you can partner with, whether it's a collaboration, a joint venture, cross-referrals, people that, can, that you can help each other's businesses. Fourth group of people are prospects and clients. Those are people who are ideal for what you do. Fifth group of people are people you will never talk to again, because they're not friends and family, they can't help you, they can't partner with you, and they won't buy your thing, right? So if you know who those people are, now we can approach them in a different way. And the better you get at it, I always start with the phone, right? The phone is not just for calling and texting, but the people in your phone should be the closest people to you in the world, right? Because you actually had to type their name in. You didn't just hit like a little heart button on Instagram or Facebook. You actually had to physically put their information into your phone. And I've done this at hundreds of events. For most people, less than 20% of people in their phone have any idea what they do. They just don't know, right? So if you can categorize the people in those five ways, get rid of the people that should no longer be in your phone or in your life, the other four, now we know what conversation we're having. And if I know what conversation I'm having, I can be more effective. And then the third piece of that puzzle is you want to take the people who don't know you and don't know what you're doing, call them fours, and you want to make them threes. Those are people who don't really know you, but now they know enough of you and now they know what you do. Threes are people who know you and know what you do or likely know what you do. And ones are people that know you and would probably hire you if they had the need. So you Make fours, threes, threes, twos, twos, ones, ones, clients. And so I use those three phases of an approach. 
And every time I meet a prospect, I say, all right, who are they? Where are they? Right? How am I going to stop them? How did I engage them? How do I educate? Did they take my free thing? Did I just get their phone number? And then I say, all right, is this person actually a prospect? Because the way you increase your sales and decrease your pain is to only make sales offers to prospects, right? If you're selling to someone that doesn't have the money or a business, they're not my person, right? And for a long time, I was like, oh, I'll talk to anybody. Well, now I want to know if you've got no money and you don't have a business, you're not my person. I'm not going to spend my time there. Maybe I can help you in some other way, but not in this way. And you reduce your number of sales calls, increases your capacity, but also helps your win rate because you're spending your time on people that actually are of value. And then I always categorize them in where do they fit, right? To go from cold referral to high paying clients. If you do it in one phone call, that person's ready. But most people aren't ready. And so how do you get them ready? So they do say yes, rather than saying, oh, you didn't say yes on this one. Sorry, the deal's gone. And then you, you know, scarcity and all that. And you tell them that they can't buy or it's going to be more expensive next time. And then they're bad clients anyway. But it's not, and- it's not even just that. I think, you know, that framework is really just because you're ready to sell to them doesn't mean that they're ready to buy today. 100%. Right. It's not that they're not ready to buy. It's not that they don't have a problem. They don't recognize your expertise. It's, you know, being able to fix it. It may be that they've just got to pay the car rego today. And, you know, the, the bank account's a bit empty or, you know, their son or daughter has just had an accident at school and they've got to rush off and that's where their mind is at, you know, or it's still on the argument they had with their partner this morning over, you know, whether to vote, you know, Republican or Democrat or or something equally absurd. It doesn't really matter what the thing is. Just because you're ready to sell doesn't mean that they're ready to buy. And our goal of marketing is to increase the level of intimacy, as you said, right? Take them through those stages. Work out who the fives are, you know, get rid of them. You know, don't engage or spend your time trying to make them. But everybody else, don't try and make them fours to ones in one go. Just go, how do I make a four or three? How do I make a three or two? How do I just increase the level of intimacy in the same way, strangely enough, that we would build a relationship with a significant life partner. Uh, I mean, we're asking people to marry them on our first date. And while that works for, you know, one out of a million, it, it doesn't work for the rest. And, you know, it doesn't I even work been, on reality TV. Let's be, let's be real. Oh, that's true. That's true. But I think we've been in the information sales world. There's we've been conditioned to say, if you don't buy from me today, you're not a decision maker. And therefore, you know, I'm not calling you back. Not everyone's going to buy today. And at some point, I got those people off, right? If I'm talking to the person five, six times, and they're engaged, but they're just not ready to buy, you know, at some point you say, look, I can obviously help you, but your time's valuable, my time's value. If this is not something that you want to do, that's cool, you know? But most people, if they talk to you five times, they're saying yes. They're just getting their mind in a place. They're still on that journey. And if you understand that people are on a journey and everyone's on a different one, now you don't worry about the one call close. Now, if they ask you, how much does it cost? Well, you tell them, this is what it looks like to work with me. But if they're not ready to hear it, you know, don't bulldoze them. That's, you know, what I I do. I mean, everyone obviously 
You do your own thing. Some people are really good at a one call close, but I like to let them know what I do. Here's how I can help them. Here's what I do. And then we drip on them and we send them information and we follow up with them. And right. We have systems to do that for us. So you don't have to pick up the phone and call them every time, but you have other ways, whether it's email, text, events. And I've gotten clients that I've known for five years that come back and say yes and pay me a fair amount of money to do it. Now, I'm not going to say no to that person. What? But they were in my life and I dripped on them and eventually the timing was right. And if you do that enough times over a long period of time, you never have to market again because you'll have so many people in your world and in your pipeline that the people who have been following you and the people that have been in your life, enough of them will say yes, that you can make a very, very good living. Keep putting people in the front end. If they don't close that call or that week, keep them there, check in with them. Their life's going to change. They may sell a car. They may get an inheritance. They may be at a point where they really need it. Or they may say, you know what? It's time for me to make an investment. All of those things could happen. If you don't, you're making a decision for them. And if you're making a decision for them, you're eventually going to lose. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely true. Absolutely true. And I think the key as you said, it's to build and maintain more relationships until such time that people are ready, right? They know, like, and trust you enough and need your help, right, for your expertise. Let's look to wrap up. We do a bit of a quick fire. Let's, uh, you know, now that you're a little bit older, a little bit wiser, <laughs> if you could go back to your 18-year-old self as you get that one-way ticket and arrive in the Czech Republic, one piece of advice, what would it be? You know, this is a real life example, and it's it's kind of an easier, obvious one. When I was a freshman or sophomore in college, we I was getting ready to rent an apartment with two friends. And my mom said, instead of renting an apartment, should we buy a condo and let your friends pay you rent? Now, I was, you know, 19 years old, didn't know real estate, didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, I was like, I went through all the reasons. What if I can't sell it when I graduate? Or what if it loses money? Or I don't know that I could know how to buy a condo. So I, I would take that and I would have obviously bought that condo. But if I've told this to my 19-year-old nephew, he didn't listen, he wanted to live in the fraternity house. That's neither here nor there. But find a duplex, triplex, or fourplex. Cobble together as much money as you can. Live relatively poor live in one, rent out the other one, two, or three. So you're living for free. And now you can do whatever you want. Yeah. That condo would have increased your net wealth by a couple of million dollars by now. Probably, right? Because I probably would have been like, oh, this is working. I probably would have ended up buying three and it's in a college town. There'd be, they'd be rented out of that cash flow and net worth since then. So I'm trying to convince my nephews to do that. And to, to be a little bit different, but I think I would, I wanted the cool apartment. As soon as I got my first, you know, gig, I had a cool apartment. I paid too much for it. It was nice. It was a third story, which was the top floor overlooked a little, you know, man-made pond at a little fountain in the middle of it. It was pretty awesome, but didn't really set me up for later life. Absolutely. What's a common myth about coaching that you think is way off base? I think the biggest thing, and this is what I hear, is I don't have the money to do it. I hear it time and time again that they don't have the money. I don't have X number of dollars in order to hire a coach. And 
I'm not a huge advocate of going into huge debt for anything unless you're all in, if you know you're going to do it. But people go to college, never think twice about what it costs them. Take out student loans and they go to college and they get out of school and it doesn't help them actually make any money. For the few who have a certain type of degree, maybe it does, but either people need more schooling or they need more experience. And the degree didn't do anything except help them get their foot in the door for and have huge debt. But they never think twice about when it comes to coaching, people say, I don't have the money. And number one, you're going to spend it either way, right? You're either going to pay me or you're going to pay trial and error, school of hard knocks, however you want to say it. You're paying that money. So I think that's the biggest one is you don't have the money. And this is not the salesy pitch part of it of, right? It's an investment and you're going to make money off it, which hopefully you will. But you are going to spend X thousands of dollars in your business, either learning it yourself or paying somebody else. And I believe paying someone else gets you there faster with fewer mistakes for probably fewer dollars in the long run. Yeah, no subtle cost. I think the the thing I say is people look at their bank account and they go, I don't have that cash available in my bank account. I'm not looking at what you're just, it's just prioritized elsewhere, right? It's prioritized onto the mortgage. It's prioritized onto the strip line you're going to have for dinner tonight, as opposed to the sort of budget, the budget mints, you know, you're putting in the, you, you've got it. It's just being prioritized in other ways. Uh, as you said, you know, you had the fancy condo rather than the, you know, the cheap apartment complex that probably would have set you up in a better way. A hundred percent. Right. I, I, I made a decision you know, with my heart instead of my brain or with my ego, probably more so than anything else instead of my brain. You know, if you want what you say you want, you will do the things to get there. Yeah. Well, that's the grit, right? That's the thing. It's giving up short-term gain to get long-term benefit. And I think it said, uh, you know, spend the first half of your life living, working or living like, working like nobody wants to. So you can spend the living, like your second half of your life living like nobody can. 100%. Something like and, that, you know, however saying goes. there later in life, but if we do it fast enough, we can still have a really long time doing what nobody Absolutely. can. Absolutely. It's, it's pretty rare to find a 20-year-old, you know, an 18-year-old that doesn't want to be a millionaire by the time they're 20 or 30. You know, right. we keep pushing back, right? <laughs> what do you think the world will look like in five years' time? You know, oddly, I don't know if this is a popular answer, but I don't think it's going to be a whole lot different. You know, if we look at the last 10 years, what has changed in life? Honestly, not a ton. Yeah, we have different technology. We've got different pieces that we use where maybe on, you know, we're streaming versus watching TV or we're on our mobile phone versus carrying a laptop, right? Those are definitely changes in life. But I don't know that day-to-day people's lives have really changed that much. We wake up, we go to work of some kind, Some people work till eight, some people work till four. We spend time hopefully with our families. We have dinner, we do it all over again until the weekend. And that goes back till at least the the industrial revolution since people started getting jobs and got off the farms. It's been the same life just with different toys. So I think we'll be in largely the same place doing the same things. I think there'll be some cool enhancements that benefit us and make life easier. I think there'll be some things that make life more complicated because they tried to make our lives easier, right? Mobile phones make our lives easier, but we sit there and now we're addicted to them and my pocket buzzes and I got to look at who texted me, 
right? Yeah, don't don't, don't look at my uh, you know my screen time. <laughs> <laughs> right now, it tells me what my screen time is. I think we're our lives will be largely the same, just with different mechanisms to get between the hours we wake up and the hours we go to bed. Yeah, like I completely agree. I, I think the, the big lesson from you know that observation, which I believe is totally true, is that we're in a unique position to control our own destiny if we choose to invest in it the right way and put the systems in place that help us achieve our goal quicker and faster and more predictably. Adam, really appreciate you joining us today. One last question to take us out, mate. Where can we find you online if we want to connect? Yes. Uh, no, thank, thank you for having me. It's, been, it's always a blast talking to you. I'm glad we got to do it in a, in a little formal environment. Hopefully people found uh, it educational and, and hopefully a little bit entertaining as well. So my website is coachwithak.com. I got a bunch of free resources there. Social media, it's at Adam Kipnis on Instagram, Adam Kipnis on LinkedIn, Adam Kipnis on Facebook. I think Adam Kipnis on YouTube. I've got a podcast called The Entrepreneur's MBA, Lessons You Can't Learn in School. So uh, you can get my podcast, got a couple hundred episodes out there. But I'm there are two Adam Kipnises in the world. There's me and some other dude. He happens to own adamkipnis.com. I have everything else. So if you type in Adam Kipnis, you will find some of my stuff out there. Hopefully it's, it's beneficial and obviously happy to help any of your listeners you know, first call is always free. Pick my brain, figure out what it is you want, what I can do. I guarantee I will leave you with at least one nugget that will make your life better. Absolutely. And if you're going to, uh, I know Adam, you're a keen golf fan. So, you know, I'm sure you're open to uh, longer conversations on the golf course as well. Guys, thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate you sharing this episode with us. And Adam, absolutely appreciate you sharing so many value bombs and some of the systems that you've used to create the success, not only for yourself but also your clients as well. Guys, thanks so much for joining us on today's episode of More Clients, Less Effort. We'll see you again real soon. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of More Clients, Less Effort. Join us next time for another insightful discussion filled with actionable advice and inspiring stories, all geared towards helping you grow and scale your business simply and easily. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app so you never miss an episode. See you next time. Oh,